All right, welcome everyone. This is John Sterling, host of The John Sterling Show. I am a U.S. Army veteran, medically retired, served 13 years in the United States Army as a communication and an intelligence asset. Uh, currently uh, working in the capacity of a consultant in the leadership behavioral health space. And with me today, I have retired General Barry Price. And John, thank you for having me today. I'm Barry Price. I'm a 31-year veteran, U.S. Army, uh, two combat tours, uh, served in the cavalry, served in uh, the Airborne, uh, finished my career as a Force Com G1 at Fort Bragg. I currently serve as the president and CEO of CADCA, the Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, John. Good, for good. You know, I've been really looking forward to the opportunity to uh, to engage. We've had several conversations uh, around uh, life in general, and specifically the uh, the space that we both find ourselves, which sure. is in 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 helping others um, be better as a result of uh, a lifestyle that is dedicated to uh, recovery. Um, in a lot of the work you're doing, mm -hmm. it's about prevention, it's about education. But what we're really trying to do at the end of the day is bring an environment of joy, uh, getting people's lives back and having success, mm -hmm. really being successful. And BRC has been doing this since uh, 2006. Uh, and they're, they're really focused on a, a holistic process of, of wellness and, and treatment. But what we've been doing lately, which is really exciting, is being much more intentional about the opportunities that we have to work in the veteran population. Sure, mm -hmm. you and I are both veterans, mm -hmm. um, and and when I when I say that, um, that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. But specific to this conversation, when you think about the opportunities uh, that are presented uh, to veterans in the space of uh, any kind of trauma, and then the resultant uh, dependency on substances, alcohol. Um, what are your first thoughts about what is most important to the veteran population as we reach out to them and make these types of opportunities available to them? Well, I, I guess I initially think about uh, what it means to be a veteran, mm. to have served something larger than yourself, sure. uh, to serve our nation, to secure our nation, to to promote our value stream. Sure. And so uh, many of our veterans uh, really go through a lot of trauma uh, yes. in their experiences. It's a, it's, it can be a very lonely life. Uh, you're exposed to things. You see things. You see traumatic things even in training, not mm -hmm. just in combat. And so when you think about uh, somebody who gives so much to the nation, it's wonderful when the nation can give something back to them as well. And so it's uh, uh, as a veteran, it, it's it's an honor for me to give back to the veteran uh, population. Well, I I think uh, that's well spoken, and and I'm I'm just grateful that uh, in, in the very first conversation we had, it was evident that not only do you have a, a cognizant uh, understanding, lived experience understanding, but your heart, sure, uh, your heart beats in a direction of wanting to 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 help uh, those, and so. What my original engagement with you was uh, and and the curiosity was around how can a man that has reached the level of military achievement, uh, two-star general, um, become um, not only an example, but an advocate to 
those individuals that probably in many instances would never have an opportunity to hear from someone like yourself and the stigma that surrounds even a conversation um, is so is so powerful. Um, and so I just wanted to bring you back to an opportunity to listen to a quote that you gave me um, a while back. And, and, I, and I love your heart in this. And you said that I'm all about keeping the ball in play. Yes. And keeping people alive until they reach the point of recovery. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm all about. I'm willing to partner with anyone who is about addressing the challenges and the stigma in providing real solutions. When you think about real solutions and when you think about recovery uh, in a community of individuals that one, first and foremost, we must gain their trust. Mm-hmm. What do you think are some of the important elements in allowing people to reach the point where recovery is even a, even a conversation piece? Sure. Well, let, let, me, let me start by saying that, that I didn't necessarily choose this, what I'm doing now, it chose me. Mm. Uh, I have a brother with a lived experience. He's been sober for 22 years, wow. addicted to crack cocaine. Uh, my college roommate uh, is really why I'm here. Uh, his girlfriend exposed him to crack cocaine during our last semester of college, my last semester of college, and 30 years of life uh, where I'm doing well and rising through the ranks and being celebrated. Um, they find him under a bridge in Louisville with his system shutting down. And and I got to tell you that he died in, in uh, five days before his 53rd birthday. Wow. And, and, uh, and I felt some tremendous sense of guilt mm. uh, because I, I didn't know how to help him. All I was armed with was what Nancy Reagan gave us in the 80s, just say no. It's sure. a great bumper sticker, but it doesn't really work on somebody who's, who's, who's ill, who's sick. And, and I tell you that uh, coming to this space, working in this space as a result of Carl David Holmes, that's his name. Okay. And Carl's picture sits on my desk and that's my passion, mm. you know, because it, it helps me every day I look at his picture. It helps me to keep doing what I'm doing. Mm. So I don't have a bad day because none of my days are like, are ending like Carl's wow. ended. Wow. And so as I think about uh, now uh, working in this space and helping, um, I came to the, to the realization that this is a disease. It's not a moral failing, you know, that, that, uh, and it should be treated much like cancer, much like PTSD, uh, that people are soothing, are finding uh, drugs to soothe their alcohol, right. uh, to soothe their pain and their trauma. Right. And so this is this is really a space that that I think we all should be in. Let me go further about that quote and and to tease out really what what was the genesis of it. My sure. wife's a, a, a psychiatrist. Okay. And she doesn't necessarily believe in need to exchange programs, didn't believe in medicated assisted treatment, didn't believe in fentanyl test strips. I mean, these things that that we're giving people uh, to extend their lives, uh, naloxone, you know, it it's an overdose reversal right. uh, drug is what we're calling it. Didn't necessarily believe in those things. And so I asked my wife um, and she was certified with right. the DEA right. uh, to 
provide medical medicated assisted treatment. Right. And but she allowed her certification to lapse. So I asked the question, well, what if our 15 year old, you know, was in active addiction? Would you feel different? Right. And the answer was yes. Absolutely. I said, so we should feel that way about other people's kids, about other uh, people. We can't help anybody if they're not alive. That's right. And so uh, even people in active addiction, if they're still alive, those tools, those harm reduction tools provide them the opportunity for recovery. Absolutely. And and what I love about your, what you're saying, and, and I always talk about this, the visual sure. of a man such as yourself yeah. that has been privileged, like you said, to move up the ranks mm-hmm. to an iconic type of position. Mm-hmm but yet having people hear the words of humanity mm-hmm. coming out of your mouth that they're, they're, they're hearing you say, what I do is what I do, but it's driven by who I am. Who I am, exactly. My lived experience mm-hmm. and to hear the emotion and the things that drive uh, service, Yes. right? Yes. And, and, and that's frankly, as we think about the, the model that BRC is developing around serving those who have served, the very first thing that we need to get our minds wrapped around is the human element yes. and, and sharing that uh, part of ourselves that allows them to be human, mm-hmm. right? So when you talk about joy, I'm sure there's a there's a modicum of joy that's derived, joy. right? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. When you talk about people getting their lives back and this success, like walking through that. So you, you're, uh, you're the CEO of an organization called CADCA. Yes. And, and a, to a large degree, that organization is focused on um, youth, younger people, right? Well, all all ages, all ages, all ages. Yeah. Okay, but we have a tremendous youth component. Okay, youth that's component. associated with it, right? How are youth responding to the narratives of lived experience? Because I've seen several video clips, and these kids are bought in. Yeah, they are. They're bought yeah, in. They are. Is that part of the magic of why CADCA has been so? Uh, well-received internationally. T- tell me a little bit about so, that. So let me tell you a little bit about the genesis of CADCA. Sure. Uh, uh, most will remember Lenny Bias, standout Absolutely. athlete, University Basketball of Maryland, player. All-American, uh, drafted overall number two, was going to be the heir apparent right. to Larry Bird uh, with the Boston Celtics. Uh, Lenny's drafted, he goes up, he signs with the Celtics, comes back to the University of Maryland, hangs out with his boys and does cocaine and gets uh, cocaine poisoning, heart explodes, Lenny dies. Uh, and it shocked the nation. I mean, uh, shocked the nation. Remember that. And, and so it was a catalyst for George H.W. Bush as, as he became the president. Uh, to breathe life into a task force to look at um, cocaine, crack cocaine in the inner city. Mm-hmm. And this task force went away and they did their evaluations for three years and they did an outbrief. And out of that was born this this organization that I now lead okay. called CATCA, the Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America. We're going to change the name from that anti-drug uh, coalitions of America, because it's stigma latent, uh, even in that. Sure. Um, that'll probably come in the next couple of weeks. I briefed my board oh, wow. next week. On okay. That. So, Good. so uh, you fingers heard it here crossed first, right? that, okay. that uh, will change the name. Sure. But it'll just be 
CATCA. Sure. There won't be a name associated with it. It'll just be an acronym. Okay. CATCA. And so, uh, and the and the acronym will spell out what we do um, and who we are. Right. So, um, so CATCA is formed, and and our and we moved a modality from from this uh, from a program like Dare or a bumper sticker or a good slogan like Just Say No. Uh, to a strategy which is evidence-based, data-driven, uh, multi-sectored coalitions with twelve sectors, twelve people sitting at the table. Right. In every one of our coalitions, we have more than five thousand in the U.S., more than five hundred and thirty countries around the world. And and what they do is we teach them, we empower them with knowledge, the latest arts and science, art and science on prevention. Sure. Uh, and our focus is is uh, um, illegal illicit drugs, underage drinking, and uh, cessation of all uses of tobacco. And and for the underage drinking, that is, again, focused on kids. You know, and our, our primary focus is prevention. That is abstinence or delaying first use until after the brain is fully formed at age 25. Right. Uh, you, uh, you know, the science shows that there is a, it reduces the likelihood that you'll become addicted uh, after the brain is fully formed. But now with, with so uh, new substances and new analogs like opiates and right. benzodiazepines and fentanyl, right. uh, the likelihood now, I don't think the 25 is, is even, you know, we know some people are predisposed right. uh, to addiction. And so CATCA really teaches the art and science and we build these coalitions and we train them and we empower them to go back into their communities to solve their own problem. So uh, the training that we have is tailored to the to the coalition. We say we have more than 5,000. If you've seen one coalition, you've seen one coalition. Right. They're all very different. And and the things that they're fighting with are very different. Right. That's that's amazing work and and when I think of that, that that's another element or another flavor of the human experience right. on the front end. And I'm thinking um, we had an opportunity recently to engage uh, a young man uh, that was a former uh, high-level college athlete, played some professional football mm -hmm. as well, and found his life in a downward spiral. Right. When we talk about the opportunities to influence people either in delay of first use or, you know, on the prevention end, which is the CADCA, you know, mission and model to something that like BRC is doing. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the impact that can be had when those types of organizations find themselves in the same space and cross pollinating to help the process uh, of overall community uh, empowerment mm -hmm. to become even greater. Cause yeah. we, we got people that have gone down the path. Sure. But they have a story to tell. Sure. Right? Mm -hmm. There's passion. There's, 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 yeah. And then there, there's the people that are looking at it from maybe a little bit different purview. Sure. Talk to me about the power of those kind of engagements. Yeah. Well, we, we say that that uh, in, in my faith tradition, that in every mess, there's a message. And in every mm. test, there's a testimony. Mm. And one of the things that we know uh, from, from the lens of CADCA is there is prevention, uh, uh, primary prevention, abstinence, upstream solutions. Right. But then there's prevention and treatment. There's pre 
prevention and recovery. You know, you're trying to prevent a relapse. Correct. Uh, you're trying to uh, trying to start help seeking behavior. And I think that and and what's special now that that we have. Uh, titled it not this moral failing, but a disease right. that is substance use disorder. I think we're finding now that it's starting to reduce the stigma, the yes. stigma, yes, the stigma, so that there is now help seeking behavior. That's right. That and and that people now can get behind. I would tell you that in our coalitions, uh, clergy is one of those uh, one of those uh, sectors, but it's the least populated sector. Interesting. Guess what's the most populated sector? Law enforcement. Mm. They're trying. Uh, there are they are bellying up to the bar with us. Right. And and putting officers and chiefs of police. I'm talking about high ranking folk who are in our in our coalitions because they don't want to have to deal with this. Right. I mean, police are doing the lock zone training. Firefighters are doing right. Narcan training. Right. right. And so that's not what we really want them to do. And so if we empower people in those communities to do that and not really, and what's, what's I think is interesting about the opioid crisis is that it's, it's, it's every demographic now. Yes. It's every neighborhood. No discrimination. It's every street. That's right. It's, it's everybody's kids That's right. now. And so I think it's, it's really open the aperture for greater dialogue now. And I love what you're saying about dialogue like what we're doing right now right. matters right. The, the the weight of the words that we're using to communicate mm -hmm. and i'll even go so far as to say um people need to see people yeah. having a conversation yeah. that look like them exactly yeah yeah two african-american mm -hmm. males that mm -hmm. are veterans mm -hmm. that have lived experience around mm -hmm. trauma however mm -hmm. we want to slice and dice that mm -hmm. is a powerful powerful conversation yes right it is uh, and so when I think about the opportunities um, within the context of BRC and us building out this, this veteran-centric mm -hmm. program, um, the one thing that we want to do, everyone wants to do, mm -hmm. right? We want to be winners. Mm -hmm. And WIN is one of the acronyms mm -hmm. we're going with mm -hmm. that allows us to understand how simple advocating can mm -hmm. be, right? It's, 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 it's simple. Mm -hmm. But the first idea, and, and, and think about this from, from your purview as a commander. Mm -hmm. Let's go down the, the, the military path, sure. right? Mm -hmm. And as you're looking at the thousands and thousands of people that you've had um, on your watch, mm -hmm. if you will, right? And the idea that we welcome people in, mm -hmm. which is what we do in the military, sure. mm -hmm. despite their backgrounds, mm -hmm. despite the way they look, right. despite their you know, sexual preference, mm -hmm. whatever. We're working through a lot of that mm -hmm. stuff. But an authentic, welcoming, and I'm going to use a different word here, posture. Right. Because people can sniff that a mile sure away. Sure, they can. Right? Yeah. So when you talk about mm -hmm. the recovery space and being an advocate, what, what, in, what goes through your mind when you think about how we would welcome veterans into a scary space, right. but say you're safe. Mm -hmm. How does that look to you in thinking about even the military? That's a scary proposition for a lot of people. Yeah, it we is. welcome them. Yeah. But you know, one, one thing is that when you uh, realize uh, in the welcome that you're not 
by yourself, that mm. you're not the only one, mm. that there are scores of people. You know, one of the things that, that uh, we used to do in the military is um, take new recruits to a basic training graduation so they can see the end while they're still at the beginning. And I think that's what you do with people who are in treatment and recovery. When when they can see uh, models uh, that that they're not the only one, that, yeah, it's going to be hard and you got to do the work, uh, but you can come out on the other side of it uh, and that you can be forgiven. And, and, and I think that the process, you know, helps with uh, in a uh, their process their step 12 step process right. helps with self-forgiveness and getting others to forgive right. uh, them. And, and when you're welcomed into that process, there's nothing more uh, uh, illuminating and nothing more positive than somebody saying, come, come, you know, we got you. That's right. And the thing I like about BRC is that, that, uh, they're going after people. That's right. They're not just waiting for people to come, right. but they are seeking out veterans who are. And this is a, a population that I think that our nation has sometimes sometimes forgets about. You know, uh, when we drive around any city, you know, you'll see a large homeless population. That's right. Lots of them are veterans. Absolutely. Lots of them are veterans. And, and, uh, and, and because we've so stigmatized Things like PTSD, you know, we're afraid of of approaching uh, uh, people. You know, uh, it's amazing what happens when you offer a hand. That's right. When you offer a meal, when you say, "Let me show you something different." Mm. How about come over here? Mm. Let me put you up, put mm. you in a warm place for the night. Mm. Think about how great our world can be if that was everybody's mindset. And so, welcome is something that we. We see it in churches on Sunday mornings. We see it at school when the principal is usually outside waiting on the kids sure to come do. to school. For, for but decades. for things that we consider to be off-putting or negative or that we've stigmatized or that we say we don't want to be like those people, uh, now those people are us. And, and I think that, that our nation is turning this is too, I'll tell you in Washington, this is the one thing that's bipartisan uh, in the Congress. The funding of, of treatment programs, recovery programs, uh, seeking solutions for this opioid and fentanyl crisis that besets us right now, it's bipartisan. Right. Yeah, I, and well, I tell you what, so much, so much knowledge dropped there. And, and the one thing that I'm also thinking about, and this is, become rather trendy lately. There's at least one book that talks about it, but it's such a powerful consideration. Mm -hmm. And you're even talking about mm -hmm. it. As we as we approach and and lean into lean. Yeah. others, mm -hmm. we're really leaning into ourselves. Yeah, we are. We're facing our own we're fears. We're facing our own That's fears. Exactly right. right. And so the question then gets flipped. It's mm -hmm. not because we certainly don't want to ask ourselves this question. Right. The question is no longer appropriate when we say, what's wrong with you? Yeah. The real question is, what happened to you? Yeah. We all want to tell our yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. We all want to be given the respect right. and dignity to mm -hmm. say, 
And I tell you, every time mm -hmm. that we have an, an opportunity mm -hmm. to sit in front of people and just mm -hmm. be quiet mm -hmm. and listen to the answer to that mm -hmm. question, mm -hmm. things change yeah. mm -hmm. drastically. Yeah. There was an 18th century theologian named John Thornton. John Thornton, your name. Mm. Uh, and John is the guy who coined the phrase, but for the grace of God, mm. there go I. And, and I think that's when we look at ourselves and especially now that the people who are suffering from substance use disorder, they look like us. Right. They're functional people. They're professional mm. people. Mm. Um, so we can easily say, but for the grace of God, there go I. And I think if we adopt that approach, it, it provides more, more welcoming uh, for people. We still got a ways to go in stigma. No, we do. Uh, but, but I think we're heading in the right direction. I, I would agree. Um, and so welcoming's one thing. Yeah. But then as we get people moving in a direction, this notion of, of inspiring, yeah. right? People, people, they want to be inspired. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that can be very hollow. Sure. And so I want to reference something that I personally witnessed. Mm -hmm. And I get emotional about it sometimes when I think, because I was there, I didn't see it coming, mm -hmm. but it was an opportunity that I had with you and a young man who, for what it's worth, uh, doesn't even rate in the scale of veteran anything. Mm -hmm. He was one of those, as we talked about on that call, he was a, he was a basic training fail to launch, mm -hmm. failure to launch. He didn't, because of a, a substance abuse problem. Mm -hmm. And I saw an individual by the name of Barry Price, mm -hmm. who had met this young man for the first time, literally disarm him completely by assuring him that he was not the first person yeah. that that had never happened to. Right. Not to mention you commented on the fact that his physique was pretty, yeah, you envied guns. it, right? Yeah, it's yeah, big, guns, big guns, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. But tell me about how easy and simple it is to inspire someone in their less than this. Yeah, yeah. So so first, uh, you know, there is not a, a picture of somebody who's in recovery or treatment. Mm. You know, I, I think that 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 many have a thought of what that person looks like. And and what's amazing when you see a very healthy uh you know, a uh, physical specimen that that uh, looks like he can lift a Volkswagen. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. you don't think about, nope. you know, your mind. You, you don't even think about that there could be a deficit. You know, and one of the things is that that uh, basic training is a difficult, life-changing experience for an 18-year-old kid. That's right. Uh, who's never had an economy, who's never... Uh, dependent on their parents for everything in their life. And they say, get up, do this, do that, go to the bathroom. Uh, they control right. your life. It's, it's, a, it's yep. a totally hectic experience. And and the reality is uh, some fair number of kids wash out in basic training. Don't make it through. They fail to adapt or they had some precondition that wasn't disclosed uh, or they 
some malfeasance from recruiters who told them to hide something. It all happens. Correct. And so so kids kids fall out for whatever reason. And it's not it doesn't doesn't indicate that uh, it's not an indicator of the rest of your life. Mm. You know, you recover from that. You know, 17 mm. percent of the people who join the military are like you and I. They retire. Right. That means 83 percent don't. Correct. You know, he's a veteran, you know, and I tell you, hell, I, I'd like to have him on my team. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that that is true and authentic uh, inspiration. And it's something that um, in its simplicity, mm-hmm. I think we can miss it. You told him who he was yeah. at that very moment. You assured him yeah. who he was and certainly to not consider who he thought he wasn't. And John, I think to that point, I think that we... Uh, have to be very careful and measured in our words mm. because the opposite could have easily have happened, you know, and, and sometimes we speak to lack, mm. you know, we speak to deficit when uh, the metaphysician would say, speak to the positive, mm. extenuate the positive, mm. lift up, you mm. know, versus push down. Yeah. So that's, and that's, that's what I call the chronological advantage. Mm-hmm. You're old enough to have been there, done that, and yeah. you can parse these things out. Sure. But again, I go back to the power of the spoken word. Yeah. And as we're, as we're looking to, like you said, mm-hmm. pursue those which have chosen to put their life in the hands of their country. Sure. Now it's an opportunity to serve and, mm-hmm. and just common dignity, respect. Mm-hmm. And we talk about these things, the inspirations there as well. Navigation, win, mm-hmm. welcome, inspire, navigate. Again, another true story mm-hmm. that was amazing. And I want to take this a little bit slower um, because there's a, there's a lot to it. But um, let me just first ask you the question. When it comes to leadership, mm-hmm. do we often have a choice to who we have to lead? No, 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 we don't No, The moment marks the spot. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Perfect. The moment mm-hmm. marks the spot. Mm-hmm. And so when we have the moment mm-hmm. of an opportunity in the recovery space mm-hmm. to serve and lead, there's never a leadership non-moment. It's all leadership. So yeah, it's all leadership, mm-hmm. right? We often, however, have an opportunity in that context that gets a little bit more daunting, and that's mm-hmm. the na- like helping people navigate right. life. Mm-hmm. And that takes at least one asset that we'll never get back, which is our time. Right. And it takes a lot of fuel in your tank called gas. Mm-hmm. And because this is a family-friendly show, gas stands for give us, mm-hmm. okay? Right, right. <laughs> but you have to have gas in your tank. You got to have it, yeah. Right? Yeah. So you had, through lived experience, mm-hmm. some fuel, some reserve, some want to for a gentleman by the name of David Parrish. Yes. And you brought him to my attention. And when we talk about navigating, um, tell us a little bit about David and, and the opportunity you chose to engage yourself mm-hmm. in, which I think is a model for yeah. any leadership, but certainly when you're talking about the recovery space and the things that are difficult. Sure. Well, well, David, uh, uh, it's interesting that, that there is reciprocity, um, in the story of David and my, me being in David's life and David being in mine, David was my best soldier 
uh, when I was a battalion commander. He was Sergeant Audie Murphy Club. Sergeant Morales was the soldier of the quarter, soldier of the year for my battalion, for my brigade, for our division, for our corps, and was a finalist for the Army. Um, made staff sergeant in five years. Uh, just a high achiever. Uh, my wife, my first wife died of cancer when I was a battalion commander. And my soldiers uh, traveled from Fort Carson, Colorado uh, to Houston to be the uh, pallbearers wow. for their first lady. Wow. And I didn't ask them to do that. I didn't know they were going to do it, but they took that on. And David was one of those soldiers. Mm. A week later, um, we're back and David uh, tries to commit suicide. Um, didn't understand it. And I remember uh, talking to David and his body, he was in a induced coma so that the drugs that he had taken could, could deabsorb uh, from his body. And, uh, and I'm talking to David and I'm asking him what's going on in his life. What could be so horrible in your life that would cause this when everything that meant anything to me, I had just lost mm. a week prior. Mm. And, uh, and I decided, because David had me food, that uh, when David came out of that and when he was in recovery and when he started his counseling sessions, that I asked David if I might join him in those sessions uh, because he had me food. And I wanted to make sure that he was accountable mm. and that he told truth to mm. his therapist that he might recover. Mm. And it turned out it was some trauma from Bosnia. David was a photographer for a uh, cavalry regiment that had gone into Bosnia, Herzegovina during the ethnic cleansing. Sure. And, and all of these mass graves that were uncovered, David was taking these pictures. And so he had some significant trauma that he was dealing with that hadn't been spoken, that he hadn't shared it. And there was this great facade uh, because he was excellent in everything he did, very mm. smart, mm. Uh, very um, accomplished. Mm. And so for the next year, all of David's appointments were on my calendar, and I attended every one of those appointments with him. And what's interesting, when he committed suicide, when he attempted, he had written letters uh, to people who he cared about, and one of those letters was to me. And he gave me the letter uh, when he came back to the office. Um, I put it in my in my field boots, which were in my wall locker locked. And I told him, when you're done, we're going to go back and read this letter together mm. and just see how far you got, you've gone. Mm. I never read the letter. I read it with with him when he had recovered. And David is now one of the principal resilience trainers for the Army. That's right. I remember yeah. you said that. Yeah. Wow. So that story is powerful. In and of itself, we could have only talked about that and we have a model, mm. right? Um, you mentioned the word accountability. Um, for a man that has been and had to have been accountable in significant ways, especially when you get to the, the rank uh, of a general, 
a lot of responsibilities. Sure, there's delegation, there's people that are below you that, but at the end of the day, we know who's. Yeah, the buck stops here. That's right. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. Something's wrong in the house, it's daddy's fault. Daddy's fault. (laughs) Ask my wife. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. So talk to me about, not about accountability as it relates to, because I think this is, this is, this is so important to understand when we and and I and I actually overheard you speaking to that that athlete we were we were speaking with over mm-hmm. dinner and he was he was praising the notion of how important accountability is right, right? Mm-hmm. what what were some of the things in your life as a service member from an accountability mm-hmm. standpoint that made jumping into right. David's life mm-hmm that much more natural and easier because you understood accountability. There's some things that you went through, maybe they were tough, but you right. you know that accountability was the was really important. Right, I, I think it started when I was a kid. My father, uh, who was a Marine, mm-hmm. uh, died when I was 12 and a half. Oh. And the last conversation we had was uh, seek impact, not impression. Those are the last words my father said to wow. me. I didn't know what that what that right. meant, but uh, for me as a kid, it meant make your mother proud, right. and uh, you might be doing the right thing. I lived for my mom to say your dad would be so proud of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, later in life, I I uh, I developed this notion of um, who's in your circle mm. versus who's in your corner. Mm. And if you think about people in your circle, they jump in and out. But uh, the corner man, the person who's in your corner in a in a fight, you know, is the person who will cover you, throw in the towel when you're getting pummeled, you know, will will give you counsel and and get you ready for the next round. We'll coach you and tell you what you're doing wrong, what you should do different. We'll, we'll pat you up when you're cut. You know, the corner man is somebody mm. who's going to be there mm. uh, for you always. You mm. can count on them. Mm. And I think that's the piece of, of accountability that, that has kind of transitioned with me, has been with me throughout my life mm. is, is uh, I'm my brother's keeper. Mm. Uh, and I suspect that my brother is my keeper is, is, is also, I, I tell you that, that the, uh, piece that the, the one time that I think I, uh, kind of was out of sorts with that notion was, uh, and this is why I met Katka is because of my roommate, mm-hmm. you know, when I saw him going down this path, uh, with his girlfriend who had been his girlfriend in high school, um, I saw him kind of losing his way. Mm. I saw him losing his grip. And uh, I didn't call his parents. You know, uh, I just said what Nancy Reagan told me. Just say no. You're better than this. You know, that's not what we came here for. And and before I'd known it, he was... uh, uh, and man, he tried to, he went through treatment and recovery of right. uh, the church. Again, yep. stigma. Right. Excommunicated him. Right. You know, I mean, the church. No, I, I know, but that's uh, yeah, not uh, uncommon. No. And, and so, uh, and so his notion was, well, if I don't have money, I can beat this. I'm like, you can't live. 
if you don't have money. And so he could never break it. You know, and that was during the day where we called it addiction and abuse, not substance use disorder. That was during the days when we saw it as a moral failing, not not a disease. And so I think that that, uh, if we focus more on being uh, our brother and sister's keeper. Mm. You know, if we focus more on the tough talk, mm. you know, especially with our kids, you know, right now, I think that that there's a tremendous focus on parents befriending their children, want to be seen as cool. Like my father never wanted to be my friend. Uh, no. He was always my dad. Right. And we had some great times together, right. but he could always turn the switch right. and say, don't get it twisted. Don't yep. get it twisted. Yeah, yeah I'm your yep. dad. And that's the relationship I have right. with, with my son. I'm a loving parent. Right. But man, I hold him accountable. Yeah. You know, and and I breathe excellence and I talk to him about things. Wow. Like Skittles parties that kids have now mm. where they pour their drugs into a bowl. Right. And drink and eat pills. Yeah. You know, uh that that if you're not getting something from your mom or I or, or not leaving your right. your Coke at the table when you walk away from it and right. come back to it and drink. I talk to him about those things right. because those are the things that's going to save his life. Mm. And then, oh, by the way, I'm empowering him with hopes that he'll empower mm. somebody else's mm. children. Wow. And so that's the thing. It's, I think it's the, the cycle, the life cycle yes. is you get that you might give. Right. Uh, wisdom is exercise knowledge. Mm. It's like knowledge that's lifting weights, right? And and I'm trying to create wise people. Wow. And that's what I'm doing. And that's what CACA is doing, is we're empowering people with knowledge. That's 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 amazing. So as I'm listening to you describe this, one of my other favorite buzzwords, mm-hmm. which that kind of encapsulates so much of this, because you can you can welcome, inspire, and navigate all day long mm-hmm. and have great programs mm-hmm. and be out front. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't translate to what you were saying without saying it, if it doesn't translate to culture, culture, this is the defining Mm -hmm. DNA of this organization. Mm -hmm. It seems like Cadca's well down that path. If you were to give your best advice to an organization like BRC that is moving forward with the intent to serve with excellence, those who have served, but are using the concept of culture mm-hmm. as a really important focal point. What, what would be your, what would be your thoughts about yeah. creating culture? Yeah, I would say this notion of cultural competence, uh, mm. which is uh, if people don't see themselves uh, in you, or don't see themselves any place within your organization, uh, you're missing the boat. You know, that that uh, my organization focuses on cultural competence. That's why I said, you see one coalition, you see one coalition, because every community is different. Right. Uh, we teach what we do in nine different languages. Right. Why? Because people don't want the trans lot is lost in translation. Correct. And but if you speak the native tongue, they hear you. The countries that we're in uh, overseas are those with 
which have cartels. You know, think about what they're going through, right. trying to establish an anti-drug coalition, right. a drug prevention coalition. Right. And so I think this whole notion of cultural competence is very important. I think if you want to get veterans, you have to have veterans, you know, because they understand the tribe. They understand the dynamic. They understand what it's like to to need somebody right. and to count on somebody. Right. They understand this notion of having my six, having my back. You know, uh, uh, there, there's a there's a comfort that that veterans have around veterans that's not experienced around any other people. Absolutely, uh, because. There's a shared hardship, shared experience that that all of them go through. Almost like like pledging a fraternity or a sorority. Absolutely. There's some hazing that goes on. And that hazing really? builds it builds strength. That really happens? I heard about strength. that. Yeah, it builds strength and wow. character. Yes, hazing. it does. Yes, concept. it does. Yeah. Well, so and, and that is all one hundred percent on point. So let's let's end this conversation with this twist on the word culture, right? Yeah. Our culture, mm -hmm. the culture at large, right. seems to have a fascination and a focus and a curiosity. We call these people fans. Mm -hmm. Did you know what fan is short for? What word? No. Fanatic. Fanatic, okay. They're crazy people. Okay, yeah. Fans yeah. of football games, think about oh, it, right? Yeah, they are, yeah. Or whatever, yeah. right? So most in the athlete space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about how we can leverage the fact that our culture mm -hmm. looks at military mm -hmm. as these are the, our leaders. These are our impressive people. Mm -hmm. These are people that are doing mm -hmm. something different. These are one percenters mm -hmm. and athletes. Mm -hmm. What's your thought on how impactful an organization like BRC? Because the one thing we didn't talk about, we are also raising up an opportunity to influence in the very same way. Mm -hmm in a very intentional and tailored fashion, those that would call themselves ex-athletes, professional athletes, Olympic athletes, but the collective of these shiny objects mm -hmm. in our culture, mm -hmm. because the culture looks and says, wow, look at that. Yeah. How do we leverage that to influence in a recovery conversation? Mm -hmm. what, what are the good conversations we can have yeah. to reduce stigma, yeah. increase mm -hmm. uh, help seeking, and move our country in the right direction. Yeah, I think you 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 really saw it uh, uh, during the last Olympics with Simone Biles when mm. she was sharing um, uh, her mental health challenges with Michael Phelps, uh, with more athletes. John Wall just really uh, shared uh, a challenge he had in, in basketball with with when his grandmother past and how he felt suicidal and, and very vulnerable. I think that that when people share their vulnerabilities, mm. uh, one, it helps them. It takes the pressure off of them. But for other people, it kind of lets them know that they're okay too. Mm. You know, when we see our heroes, you know, we, we all have frailties. You know, there are, there are, we all have issues, mm. luggage baggage you know uh we just don't show it you know and the reality is you know the 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 amazing thing that that life has taught me is when i come in the room i can't be general price mm. i have to be barry price mm. uh because people need to see who i was before mm. they can see who i am mm. 
Outstanding. And that's, that's authenticity. That's right. You know, so I haven't always been this person. Right. Uh, I've had some bumps and bruises along the way. Right. And, and when I share those things, I empower people mm. to say, maybe my circumstance is not so bad. Right. You know, maybe I can, I can overcome. That's right. And can become, right. you know, um, Kipling had in his poem, he said, if you can dream and not make dreams your master, think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can deal with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, that's what we have to do. Wow. Deal with the highs and the lows and the in-betweens. And I think when we do that and when we show the highs and lows and the in-betweens to folk who consider themselves ordinary people, we empower them wow. to see that we're nobody is superhuman. Wow. We're all human with human frailties. Wow. Works in progress. Wow. As one of the athletes I had a chance to, to get to know over the past several years said, we all want to be Superman, but at the end of the day, we're Clark Kent. We're Clark you know Kent. it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Barry, yeah. with that being said, um, what a powerful conversation. I am convinced based upon this conversation that this will spur many, many other conversations, those concentric circles. This mm. is the pebble. Yeah. It hit the water surface and it has allowed the people that are going to be able to hear this conversation uh, a safe space for thought, mm -hmm. consideration, and opportunity for life change, simply because two gentlemen mm -hmm. determined this conversation was worthwhile. And, and I know I personally, BRC thanks you for being behind us, um, for being willing to not uh, act an advocate, but being an advocate mm -hmm. by everything you've you've communicated. We we just greatly appreciate it, man. And I'm I'm so uh, so thankful mm -hmm. for the life that is uh, Barry Price, and uh, just want to uh, tell you how how grateful we are to have you uh, as part of this, and looking forward to the mm -hmm. ongoing relationship with with Cadca and just changing the world. Yeah, and John, I want to thank you, BRC, and Mandy. Uh, for this invitation to join you all. And uh, Price has your back. I'm in your corner. Appreciate you, really. All right. All right. Well, that concludes this uh, interview. Uh, this is John Sterling and thanking uh, retired General Barry Price for his amazing input today on the show. Appreciate you, brother.